1: Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Consequence Uncut, a series that gives listeners a deeper dive into our features on Consequence.
2: For this episode, we're taking you deeper into a conversation that we had with Dr. Mike Isratel.
3: What do people at the top of Hollywood know about physique training and preparing actors for roles? I mean, depends who you talk to. Directors, producers, maybe nothing.
1: I'm Mijan, lead podcast producer at Consequence.
2: I'm Wren Graves, features editor.
1: Oh my gosh, Wren, welcome back. It's so good to have you.
2: Always a pleasure to hang out with you. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. And you know what? I'm really excited because this phenomenon of bodybuilding in movies is something that I, I know we've been tracking it at Consequence, but it, it just like, it is so real that just the way that actors look physically has changed so dramatically over the past you know, 10, 20, even 30 or 40 years.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, bodybuilders themselves infiltrated into cinema in the 70s and 80s, I think most uh, visibly with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mm -hmm. Mr. Universe himself, but especially uh, over the last 15 years with the rise of the MCU and alongside another trend where Marvel and other superhero movies have taken up more physical real estate in cinemas, like a higher percentage of theaters. And so just more movies total in theaters are full of real life superhumans.
1: I know, like Christina, The Rock, like all these people who are that size.
2: And then before you had John Cena and The Rock, you had Hulk Hogan. But the wrestling is an interesting link between the things that we're talking about because wrestling's explosion of popularity in the 90s was closely linked to... Bodybuilding techniques, moving into wrestling, and that includes training hypertrophic principles of training, and that includes the science, as Dr. Mike says in in this interview. Like, they don't train like wrestlers would train, like Olympic wrestlers or or, or UFC fighters would train. They do five to thirty reps of of fifteen to twenty sets per muscle per week. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, they they get chemical assistance Mm. because that's what people through their purchasing powers have said again and again that they want to see just an enormous dude. Traditionally, really tall guys. uh, This is something that you hear a lot in the bodybuilding community. Really tall guys struggle to put on that kind of bulging mass because there's more surface area for the muscle to spread out over. So as you're approaching like the physical limits of what your elbows and shoulders can handle, you might get really strong without getting really big, which is one of the reasons that Arnold, who was a little taller for a bodybuilder, often you or throughout his whole career, more outside of Hollywood than in, used uh, anabolic steroids and took testosterone. And he's been always been very honest about it.
1: And I think what was what's really, really cool about this interview is that by talking to an exercise scientist, it's really interesting just to see that, like, a lot of this isn't even necessary. So, like, just looking this way doesn't mean that you have to train like you're, like, a ninja or, you know, really famously, Michelle Yo has no karate experience. She's actually a ballerina or, like, she's a, she's a trained dancer. So she's learned the choreography to fight, but she's not actually a fighter.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, Dr. Mike makes fun of this a lot because actors are under a lot of pressure from their PR people to release social videos. And a lot of times they'll do like a collaboration with men's health or something like that, where they release a a workout video and you'll see them there. Like, Oh, you know, I, I, of course, as a a karate master, I spent uh, three hours a day practicing (laughs) my spinning kicks. And it's like, you just needed to look awesome. And it's cool that you wanted to be able to do all of these things yourself but they end, you know so often they end up using a stunt double anyway because you can't become a professional in <laughs> 3 months of training
1: i know and like basically all they need to do is follow a good workout recommendation eat healthily and have good genes and they could probably just look as good
2: <laughs> yeah um on his youtube channel dr mike uh, critiques hollywood workouts and some of them i mean he's doing the comedically but some of them are quite bad and it's it's like either the person is is getting some assistance to get that big or like they're just blessed. And some people genuinely are. I think that's one of the things that makes me cautious about accusing anyone mm. of juicing is because they're they're starting out from such a blessed place. Chris Hemsworth looks like a literal god walking through the movie set even before the director yells action. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't need the CGI <laughs> He's He's incredible.
1: This is very true. This is very true. And what's really great about this interview is that not only when you read it, you'll get all these like hot takes from Dr. Mike, but when you listen to the way that he breaks things down, he actually has a very interesting kind of sense of humor. And that's why we had to release this as an uncut.
2: Check out the full article on consequence.net. Check out the video cut that's specifically about anabolic steroids on YouTube. And check out the uncut podcast right now.
1: Thank you, and please remember to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast player so you can stay up to date on these in-depth interviews. So now, without further ado, we'll turn it over to Ren and
2: Dr. Mike Isratel for this interview. Please enjoy. I'm Ren Graves, Features Editor at Consequence. Today we're going to be talking athletics, art, science, and how over time humans have combined those things to try and make themselves look more awesome. Bodybuilding goes back at least to the ancient Greeks, and we could spend an hour talking about pioneers like Sandow and the organizations in the 40s and 50s. But Starting in the 1960s and maybe really the 70s and 80s, bodybuilding culture exploded. The sport changed your idea of what a human physique could look like, and Hollywood pretty quickly followed those cues. Then in the 80s and 90s, wrestling blew up, and the shift accelerated really quickly in the mid-2000s when the Marvel Cinematic Universe started to push mid-budget dramas out of theaters. Today, in media, there are almost literal superhumans everywhere. Here to help us understand how this happened is Dr. Mike Isretel, professor of exercise science at Lehman College in the Bronx. He's a competitive bodybuilder. He runs the popular Renaissance Periodization YouTube channel. And he's the first man to make me feel bad about having all my hair. Dr. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: (laughs) Thanks for having me.
2: (laughs) So before this fifth shift in physique, it's not like nobody was stuck. Marlon Brando had arms so big that a single bicep could simultaneously hold you tenderly and squeeze your enemies to death. Like Paul Newman and Robert Redford left men and women panting in the streets. But movies and TV definitely started to change. I don't know if we can play Eye of the Tiger without getting sued. Probably not. But Rocky, The Incredible Hulk TV shows, and then action movies would never be the same after a man who is apparently good at everything starred in Conan the Barbarian in 1982 movie stars started to look like comic book characters. Except, because of bodybuilding culture, even the comic book characters started getting noticeably more jacked. So Dr. Mike, what in the world was going on in bodybuilding around the 70s, and why did the sport and the athletes start getting so much bigger?
3: There are probably two reasons why folks started getting a lot bigger in the 1960s and 70s. One reason is that uh, this is simply a continuation of a trend that had been occurring for all of bodybuilding history. People were getting linearly bigger the entire time you've, uh, you can look at the sport in any slice of time. People are always getting bigger uh, at the end of that slice than at the beginning. Uh, That's for a couple factors. One is we just, as a bodybuilding community, with, you know, books and lectures and seminars and magazines, People learn how to do good things, best practices a little better all the time, and uh, over time that elevates uh, everyone. And then also, there is an increased level of, increased number of people in the world and in the United States that are exposed to a level of socioeconomic status in which they can afford and enjoy the leisure activity of bodybuilding It's exclusively a leisure activity it has no functional purpose inside of a constrained economy where you know i have to get food to eat so as more people became wealthy and way more people entered the fitness space in general even attempted to lift weights it just brought multiple multiple uh, orders of magnitude more people into the space inside a situation where people were continually getting more information. So, a lot of the times that the folks that you saw really be good at bodybuilding anywhere between 1900 to 1950 were a lot of it was constrained by people just lucky enough to have been exposed to anything like it whatsoever. And and so uh, recently, you know, almost everyone in the United States can afford a gym memberships, gyms are ubiquitous. And uh, the the barrier to entry for for bodybuilding, both from an access of information perspective and an access of physical gym and enough food and enough leisure time to do it perspective – those barriers have almost completely fallen off. So you just have just more people entering. And then when you have more people entering and spending longer time doing it and access to more information, people just get more jacked. It's like that with Olympic sprinting. It's like that with the sport of basketball. I mean, no doubt one of many, you know, self-effacing Jewish jokes to come. But like, you know, like Jews used to dominate the professional basketball leagues in like the 30s. That's absurd. How? They were kind of the only ones playing, you know? And then we let, you know, other folks play. We let African-Americans play finally with a dissolution of formal discrimination. And then like, yeah, of course, like that happened. So a lot of us just because of that. The other thing is, some sometime around the 1960s was when a a lot of large pharmaceutical companies started to mass manufacture anabolic steroids, and they became quite available to people. And slowly over over the course of the 60s, for the most part, more and more folks at the professional bodybuilding rings started to experiment with them and take them, and that made a huge, huge difference uh, by itself. So I would say it was kind of a two part uh, is my best guess uh, in in those two uh, perspectives. Yeah.
2: And and to be clear, I've heard you talk about this, but between like Natural genetics and some of the uh, pharmaceutical gear that you were just referencing. What is probably the bigger determinant in like how big someone gets?
3: Assuming they're training for a long time?
2: Assuming consistency, yeah. Assuming they have a decent smart program.
3: Yeah, genetics wins every single time. And anabolics are absolutely potentially very powerful, especially if you take a lot of them for a long duration. Um, and especially if you start out not so jacked and you haven't pushed your physiology very far yet, anabolics can be revelationary, but genetics still holds the big, the biggest seat at the table, so to speak, because if you have really good genetics, you even respond to drugs better. If you have not so great genetics for drug response or for lifting response, you can take a lot of drugs and just not a whole lot happens to you, and it's just uh, really unfortunate. So yeah. yeah, genetics also establishes your body's general shape. If someone has a not so great shape, they can become quite more muscular, quite leaner, and they still ah man, they just don't look like they just don't look like Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans or any of the other Chrises that are in the Marvel universe that are jacked.
2: I think every Chris is jacked. Mom named you wrong.
3: Yeah, I, I would blame mom first and foremost.
0: So,
2: Hollywood has kind of a long and noble history of learning exactly the wrong lessons from bodybuilding. I'm, I'm thinking specifically about the training program for the Zack Snyder film, The 300. These dudes were supposed to be training like Spartans. Now, never mind that the Spartan warrior bullshit was basically ancient Greek propaganda. Sparta had a pretty mediocre record in battle. But apart from that, the trainers on this film, The 300, had the cast doing two hours of CrossFit two hours of bodybuilding and two hours of weapons training every day. Mm. I remember my friends and I were like, that's so badass. But like, Jared Butler said that they were literally ruining his body for no reason. You've critiqued a lot of Hollywood workouts on your YouTube channel. Does it seem to you like the physical training side of things is, is getting better? Do these Hollywood trainers seem to know what they're doing?
3: It definitely seems like it's getting better because it used to be just awful to the point where, well, he used to just not even engage in physical training or expect the celebrities to level up to some kind of role. You get James Bond was just a guy who just was a man, like, man, see, like a barrel chest and big hands. And that's that's what a man is, and that ended right about there. The way people trained in general to prepare for physical role, I mean, Rocky Balboa is a good example of that as a, as a character. That's generally a huge waste of time spent training in a way that's not highly efficient. So it has has absolutely gotten better over time, but that's very far from saying it's perfect and there's a lot left to be desired. And there are a couple of kind of fallacious generalities we could observe with Hollywood training that are not uh, 100% pervasive, but they're very, very common. And these are the the sort of fallacious ways of approaching training that are common enough for us to say, you know, Hollywood could definitely do better if it started doing these things uh, less poorly. (laughs) So they're definitely, it's bad enough for us to make sort of grand observations of being like that part could be better for sure. But it absolutely is getting better all the time.
2: What are some of these uh, fallacies that you see over and over again?
3: Good question. One of them is People forget sort of why they're training, person that they're training, the, the celebrity, the actor. And acting is entirely 100% pretend. I think people sort of forget that. And you don't actually have to become a ninja warrior if you're playing a ninja warrior. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, this, this goes so far as to even professional wrestling. The professional wrestlers have two jobs. One job is to do cool acrobatic stuff to each other and make it look like it's combat, but in a very entertaining hyperbolic way the other thing they're they're supposed to do is look the part and they realized a long time ago that looking the part took such preeminence over everything that most professional wrestlers in the WWE, et cetera, they train almost exclusively like bodybuilders, which is absolutely not the way you would train to become the best wrestler you could be. That would be a a Olympic weightlifting based program. In many cases, lots of plyometrics, lots of powerlifting, strongman work Because you have to throw people around. You you can train for that sort of thing and you can train for athletic resiliency. Bodybuilding training is in either one of those. It has a decent cross uh, transfer to those, but it's not your best attempt. Why do they train like bodybuilders then? Because, you can get away with doing pretty cool wrestling stuff, you look like a bodybuilder, but if you do amazing wrestling stuff but you don't look the part, the character doesn't look like the character is supposed to look. When I go to a wrestling match, I'm going to see some kind of monster do monster stuff. And I'm not so good at wrestling myself that I can tell what's hard and what's easy. But I look at a human being and just with my guttural human male in- intuitive sense of what is impressive. I'm going to look at some guy who's six, three and has tons of muscles everywhere and go, Holy crap. And someone could say, well, technically they're not as good at backflips as they could be. And I'm like, I just don't care. So a lot of times Hollywood gets quite obsessive with training their characters for like, well, you know, we, we, we really, upper body strength is really important for Navy SEALs, so we focused on that. It's like, my f- your guy's not a Navy SEAL. He's playing a Navy SEAL on TV. Give him big biceps and you're good to go. So a lot of times what actually ends up being the best kind of training for many actors in many roles, not all, but very many, is pure, what we call physique training. It's just, just essentially bodybuilding is trying to make the muscles bigger and trying to control the diet and energy intake to make the fat layer smaller so that you look a certain part. Like an action figure was a perfect example. An action figure, if you put it on your table, it doesn't actually even do anything. It has no internal motor to move around. It's just aesthetic. But goddamn kids love action figures because they look the part. How important is that? So a lot of times you'll have Hollywood trainers training their clients training these celebrities it what looks like a, some kind of attempt at functional movement They'll the suitcase carries they'll do some kind of you know crawl over the bar type of pull-ups some CrossFit stuff which is amazing for getting somebody functional and healthy but that's not what you're doing in Hollywood you want a pure aesthetic approach it is absolutely the best use of your time the studio pays you a handsome sum of money also a lot is riding on you if the actor looks really amazing for the role versus not it's a big deal to the movies another thing is physique training is very safe it's probably the most safe kind of training you can do at the gym. It's very slow. It's very controlled. It's very premeditated. There's lots of breaks. There are other kinds of training, sport training, athletic training, movement training that they try to do for these folks is substantially less safe and just doesn't have that return on investment on the visual appeal. So like I... You know, I, I'm a sports scientist, I've been doing this a long time, so I can tell you, some people are way fitter than they look. That is not exactly something you want to convey to a, to an audience at a theater. You're like, yeah, James Bond doesn't look that great. And you're like, oh, oh, trust me, his, his, his uh, VO2 max, his ability to process oxygen and get energy out of it is actually really high. Like, I can't fucking tell that on screen. Where are his biceps? Where are his shoulders? That's what people nine times out of ten want to see. Think of the two Chris's, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth in the Marvel franchise. If you look at the part, Captain America's supposed to have wide shoulders. I don't give a shit what he can actually do. Because, by the way, you can CGI all that shit in any way. So it, even if you could CGI in physique, great. CGI that also. It's one of these things where appearance is super important. I think a lot of times Hollywood trainers lo- lose track of that. And another thing they do is... They uh, do a lot of what you would call in personal training kind of babysitting training Which is when you give people fun things to do that challenge them and this is a tough situation that Hollywood trainers are put into Because some of them are just wackadoodle idiots that got the job through some kind of politicking or just knowing the right person And they just, they just don't you know, they belong there in the sense that they were there first and, and only in that sense but other folks We'll try to do the right thing, but a lot of, maybe not a lot, proportionally, not a majority, I don't think, but a lot numerically from large numbers, a lot of actors will be like, man, this barbell and dumbbell machine stuff getting to me. Can we do something fun? Can we do something engaging? end up doing all this kind of aerobics in the gym, which is no doubt fun for someone who likes to train randomly. It keeps them engaged, but at the end of the day, it's not a professional attempt at doing your job, which is to get in as good of a shape as possible in the safest way possible. So a lot of times, Even the trainers come in with full intention of doing a great job, but then the actors themselves are like, can we do something more fun? And Yeah, they'll still get them in shape, but it'll be a lot of wasted time and a lot of wasted effort because the actor can't be bothered to be doing the quite diligent and sometimes boring task of doing uh, physique training, which, you know, again, is not nearly as fun as hopping around onto various mats and stuff like that. So you got a couple of factors like that playing in the mix.
2: I always wonder if that's part of how these people get the job is not because they're know are knowledgeable because they know how to make it fun it does seem that way that's right huge
3: yeah. mm. there are a lot of illusions that occur from the perspective of people who just watch movies to how movies are made and this occurs in a variety of instances but here's here's an example people seem to think that once you're in the movies once you're in hollywood some kind of overarching committee of all-knowing or very very expert people at the very top of hollywood that can rationally pick the best tools for the job uh, in any in any outlay that they engage themselves in which is just not true a lot of these people are very good at a few things they're not so good at other things they have no specialty in them so for example what do people at the top of hollywood know about physique training and preparing actors for roles i mean Depends on who you talk to. Directors, producers, maybe nothing. So they have to rely on other sources of information to tell them who's good at what they're good at. And then a lot of times, it's like, well, this actor uses this personal trainer, and this actor has gotten in great shape before. But the reality is the personal trainer is not that good. The actor is just really hardworking and has good genetics and they follow a really decent diet the entire time and maybe even take some drugs here and there, which I don't think is nearly as common in Hollywood as some people believe. I'll get to that later. But it does happen. And then once that trainer got that guy in shape guess what happens in the next movie that that same producer director combo is involved with the new actor shows up and he's like well you got to get in shape and, and the guy goes well do you guys have any recommendations he's like yeah 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 yeah." what was that one guy there's a trainer that did that he was great and the, that's how you loop in it's a lot more informal a lot more word of mouth than you would ever suspect I think some people will comment on our YouTube channel like Dr. Mike you're like this expert at training people and you have a PhD and all this other stuff how come you're not training Hollywood people you know uh, Ren I've been looking at my 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 dialogue up telephone for a long time now, but if it just hasn't rung from Hollywood people, whoever those people are, it's just much more informal. It's much more like, you know, if you like sausages and laws, don't watch how they're made kind of stuff. It's just like there's people who know stuff. It's another thing. Sometimes we have this problem in the strength and conditioning field, even in collegiate sports of who the these strength and conditioning coaches that are being hired. A lot of times are amazing. and A lot of times they suck. And you're like, how do shitty strength and conditioning coaches are hired? Well, guess who hires them? It's the athletic director. Does the athletic director know how sports science is expressed in strength conditioning? How the hell would they know that? They never went to school for any of that. They went to school for, you know, like sports management, which teaches you none of that. So the person selecting the thing is not an expert. It's like sending me and you to go like pick out a Formula One race car we want for our Formula One team. Like, I don't know, does it have four wheels? Is it fast? Does it, does it do that humming sound or goes around the track? Sounds great to me. I have no idea what I'm doing. And a lot of the times in Hollywood, the people selecting the people that work with actors, they're just totally out of the loop.
2: So we've talked a little bit about genetics. In talking to dudes my age and when I was younger, I think there's often a sense that they could, if they worked out like the Spartans worked out, look like a Spartan. Do you think that that is true?
3: I think most people, if they trained very intensely and for a long amount of time, they could look substantially more impressive than they do now. But that's a long way away from you looking exactly how you want it to look and having an an infinite sculpting ability of your body. Then I think a lot of people will do like a two or three month very immersive program of diligent eating and diligent training and they'll start to see their bodies change incredibly for the better. I think they assume a linearity to that process. They go, well, like if I train like this for a year, I would just basically look like Arnold uh, back in his prime. And and that's just not true. Your first couple of months of training are going to be a lot of times the most rapid growth you see. It's illusory to project that out. Um, it's like a kid learning how to jump one foot in the air and they're like, well, in a couple of weeks, I'll be able to jump over the house. So like, Ah, actually, that does not work like that. So a lot of times people can get a lot out of physical training, but uh, it doesn't quite lead exactly to where they think, I think a lot of people will look at, like, the 300, for example. Tons of people did what was called the 300 workout. There were many iterations of this on the internet, on the nascent internet at the time that this came out. And people thought, like, okay, if I do these burpees and these push-ups, I'll just look like Gerard Butler and his, you know, cast of zany characters with everyone has eight abs. And that the case is, for many people, yes, absolutely. And for many people, that's absolutely not how you're going to look. It, it may not be in the cards for you to ever look like that, or your version of that is going to look like more like that the free Freaky monster dude that ended up screwing them all over or whatever.
2: I don't, I don't know if our listeners knew this. Their abs were, like, literally makeup.
3: There's a lot of stuff that happens in production to make the, the look look better. That's definitely true. Yeah. You know, lighting, et cetera. A
2: yeah. couple of big actors have admitted to using substances that you can't find at GMC. The, like, superstars, I think Arnold has probably been the most honest, or, or, or at least we assume. He certainly talks about it. The, the former pro wrestlers will usually at least wink about it. Or in Mickey Rourke's case, when he starred in the movie The Wrestler, he was asked if he took steroids and he said, I did what real wrestlers do. Dwayne Johnson Holy said... Holy
3: crap. That's a good answer.
2: <laughs> Dwayne Johnson said when he tried steroids when he was 18 or 19, but then stopped, which kind of felt to me like when Bill Clinton said he smoked marijuana once but didn't inhale. In yes. I think Sylvester Stallone was caught at customs in, I think it was Australia, with HGH, at which time he admitted that he used HGH in the year 2009. You kind of alluded to this before. Do you have a sense of whether gear in Hollywood is rare or an open secret?
3: Let's take a big picture perspective of all of the roles that people take in Hollywood most of them have no physical requirements outside of just show up how you look in your shots. (laughs) It's just like, you know, like if we're hiring, you know, Jim Caviezel for a role, like we expect him to show up looking like he did kind of in his last movie. If you're like 80 pounds overweight, 30 pounds underweight, you're gonna show up to the first day of like camera and lighting setup, and they're gonna be like, dude, are you good? So outside of that, most roles have no physical preparation component whatsoever. And most actors simply don't play physical roles. So in Hollywood, most people just have no association with anabolic steroids or growth hormone or any kind of physique enhancement whatsoever. Now on the female side, most of the females just do some form of dietary control. Because how you look, most of them don't appear naked. Most of them appear in outfits. How you look in outfits is primarily determined by your genetics and how much you weigh or don't weigh. And so for that, most of that just doesn't touch anyone. Now, if you zoom in a lot into very specific types of roles in Hollywood you're, that you're require saying you to are zoom in a look. bit,
2: but like, I do think that these kinds of roles have become much more common. Marvel specifically basically ended the budget adult drama. It like doesn't happen anymore, or it goes straight to Netflix. There are some who try to get Oscars, but like if you look at the total number of movies specifically that are made each year, the number where, where there is some sort of nearly superhuman person as the center of it, the percentage of that has been rising over the last two decades.
3: Okay, you're assuming a causal relationship there
2: uh no, no, the a lot of different things happened. It has to do with with Netflix and the ability to, for people to get. Streaming at home, it has to do with the rise of television, and at a certain point, it was kind of similar to like in the seventies, you remember there used to be a lot more adult dramas, and then like Jaws and Star Wars came out, and then in the eighties there was a big shift in towards blockbusters. Then in the nineties, you have Quentin Tarantino sure. and Paul Thomas Anderson, and we have a a shift back towards more indie stuff, more more talky stuff. Well, in the mid2000s, starting with Iron Man, and then really, when the Marvel Cinematic Universe took off. Theaters started booking Marvel movies for more of their theaters. So before you would have done a superhero for two theaters, now it's five. And then the mid-budget movies had a really hard time finding budgets. And we basically saw, in theaters specifically, a shift towards mostly superhero and shoestring budget horror. Yeah, there's there's
3: a real- Yeah, I guess that's what people like to go to the movies for.
2: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's like, it's a, it's a feedback from the consumers. The consumer said, we want more Marvel for, for, for more than a decade. We want more Marvel. They couldn't, they couldn't put out the superhero movies fast enough. Now they've got way too many and there's a glutton and maybe we're about to experience another shift. But there was definitely for, I would say a 15 year period starting in the mid 2000s. Marvel was literally like elbowing smaller budget things out of cinemas.
3: Thank God I hate small budget things and cinemas. (laughs) That is probably true on the margins um, in my assessment. Definitely more physiques and and more of an emphasis, uh, a higher fraction of movies on on a high degree of physicality and an appearance of being really jacked. And I think probably for a huge fraction of those roles, anabolic steroids are never asked about, nor is anyone ever suggesting them. But I think in some cases, and especially with some individuals who that's their look, yeah, they're probably using. Uh, You know, The Rock, I would uh, estimate, you know, just knowing nothing about him, I'd say there's a 99.9% chance he's currently using drugs. Now, I don't uh, ever have a problem with any of these people lying um, about taking drugs uh, because drugs are illegal and you should lie about it because you're breaking the law and it's uh, a government threw the first stone on that one. So everything's downstream to that, you know, like, if, if you're if you're one of the rebels in Star Wars and an empire worker asks you if you're a rebel, it's, I would hope you're lying. Otherwise, you're kind of insane. So I don't have a problem with people lying about when they use substances that hurt no one. Probably don't even hurt them, but they're expected to tell the truth about them. You know, how, how many times do you, you, you get Hollywood actors to be like, exactly how much cocaine does it take to keep you moving around on set? And they're like, honestly, at this point, kilos. You know, and here's my supplier's name. This is not gonna happen. Same idea with anabolic. So of course people are hush-hush about it. There's also, a, 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 you know, I'm sure we get into this way more than we should, but the strange double standard moralizing by many people who want to see the biggest physiques and the most ripped and juicy people, but they somehow have just not through the whole thought through the whole process of the, the morality of using exogenous substances to enhance that and they somehow think it's bad. I guess something something they heard in the nineteen eighties from their gym teacher or some like that so there's a lot of that going on but uh, yeah there are definitely people that use I would still say the vast majority of people who prepare for physical roles in Hollywood probably aren't using anabolic steroids I'll give a couple reasons for this one there's no reason to assume that uh, transformations that are not very impressive are involving steroids most people think Hollywood is an incredible transformations a lot of times the actors get into fine shape but nothing you would ring home about the gentleman uh, Hugh Jackman who played Wolverine did nothing about his physique says steroids to me nothing about the transformation says steroids to Me Different for The Rock. The Rock weighs like maybe like 80 pounds more than (laughs) Hugh Jackman. (laughs) So it's something to explain there. Another thing is with females, steroid use is incredibly low because steroids specifically with females cause uh, masculinizing side effects. And if you're like Gal Gadot and you're known for your physical beauty and femininity and softness, you're not taken because that'll kick you right out of Hollywood for Basically for forever, so you got to be real careful. And most people there know that sort of thing. So again, it's a it's a relatively rare practice, but uh, quite pervasive in certain circles for certain people. Definitely, folks like The Rock. I mean, Arnold was using. Um, damn near his entire career. He was a professional bodybuilder before. He used a lot more steroids outside of Hollywood than he did in, in Hollywood. And no doubt, some big transformations. I don't know anything about Chris Hemsworth. He seems like a great guy. Did he use anabolic steroids for his recent look in you know the best Thor movies recently? I, I wouldn't bet against it. No, I wouldn't automatically say yes for sure. Because again, a lot of that scenery is like a lot of CGI, a lot of character positioning. The thing is the, the camera adds weight. And so a guy who looks pretty big on camera, he looks like he's on drugs for sure you see him in real life and you're like oh hmm and then if you see a professional bodybuilder on, on a hollywood camera you're like oh my god that guy's taking up the entire frame like oh yeah that's right that's what real big people look like so it's easy to say oh everyone's on drugs and even willem defoe is using drugs to transform and stuff like that but great thespians don't need drugs is what i'm trying to say i'm kidding uh but it's it's a thing that happens for sure
2: Chris Hemsworth is an interesting one because he played Thor and then he was uh, played a starving sailor and then went back to Thor. It's one of the most dramatic, like, two or three year transitions I've ever seen. He went from one of the largest, handsomest humans to one of the skinniest, handsomest humans back to being enormous again. Is that kind of transformation? I know there's muscle memory and that sort of thing. Is that is not to say Chris Hemsworth is, but is that the kind of transformation that you're talking about when you say a dramatic transformation?
3: That's less dramatic, actually substantially so. Oh, it yeah? looks like it's more dramatic, but y- yep, it's. I would say it's a, the best analogy that comes to mind is if you just jump from the ground up and you don't go very high, it's not very impressive. If you jump onto a really pliable trampoline really hard from a high distance and then go high, it's equally as unimpressive because you had a big divot to make with the energy and the reactor forces shooting you back up. Like if you stood on a totally flat trampoline and then jumped 80 feet in the air, I'd be like, holy that if you jumped into it really hard and then came back out, whatever. Muscle memory is definitely a real thing. It is profoundly powerful of a mechanism. You just go back to lifting weights and eating decent, healthy food, but in high volumes and you can regain Pounds and pounds and dozens of pounds of muscle in weeks happens all the time. It's an incredibly well-documented phenomenon. So his transformation actually looks substantially less impressive, objectively, if he was allowed to get ultra-thin and then come back up to somewhere he already was. Now, the most impressive kinds of transformations are when you got somebody that looks like Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, and then Arnold. And then that Arnold, uh, Harry Potter to Arnold transformation, if that takes less than, you know, six months or something, then you're like, okay, some... Is up an all-time new high for a person who doesn't have a history of muscularity or leanness. And also, you're looking for some some kind of addendant features that uh, reddening of the skin. Your face will age quite substantially temporarily, w- w- visually appearance-wise, will, will age while you're on anabolics. You'll have a bit of a different look to the musculature. The rapidity of the transformation is something that counts as well. Skin quality takes another beating, so it's not just your skin is a little bit red. It's like it's not as nice afterwards. And so there, there's there's ways to say like okay yeah like if you look at the rock most people who have been around bodybuilding for a long time will be like yeah, i know that look that's a it's like, that's not a drug-free look it, it doesn't look terrible it looks great but there's a bit of a difference there that you can spot so with that plus how rapid the transformation is plus how far away and how short of a time you are from your baseline look that you've kept forever so when formally jacked people come back to being jacked really fast. You can do that drug free all the time, no big deal. But if you got someone who like, well, looks like Harry Potter, and then they look kind of more like Arnold within a process of about three months, then you're like, oh, okay, that I'm curious about. Again, can happen drug free, often does, but is incrementally less likely to occur drug free, especially if you got some skin reddening and some other signs. You're like, okay, that guy's highly likely to be on drugs.
2: Uh, The distinction between natural supplements and and like, or what we consider to be a natural supplement and gear, sometimes, to to me, as as somebody who doesn't know as much as you, feels like as arbitrary as the way we treat every other drug. Imagine that. But like creatine naturally occurs in the body, though usually not at the levels that people are taking.
3: So does testosterone.
2: And testosterone naturally occurs in the body. Um, So how do we decide what counts as gear (laughs) or a banned substance? And do you think those distinctions make sense?
3: They don't make sense categorically, that's for sure. So you can find many exceptions to the the sense making apparatus they've imposed on what is a illegal drug and what is not. But a lot of times, there is definitely a difference between a drug and a supplement in most cases. Supplements tend to be things that are kind of used up and they're, they're more look like a uh, like a, a material you need to be inside you that your body uses for a certain purpose and your body can run out of it and then it needs more. Something like creatine, your body actually is a physical use for creatine. It, it's has some molecular interactions that you need to keep taking it, so it keeps doing that, kind of like a, a bricks for a house sort of effect. Drugs are typically have hormonal-like actions where they're more like messengers. Like when when you, when you um, take testosterone, the testosterone itself isn't adding itself to your muscles and making itself bigger. It doesn't even really do anything. It just clicks into one messenger, and that messenger expands and tells the nucleus of the cell, like, hey, make more of this kind of stuff. So the what is a steroid or, or what is a performance enhancing drug and what is just a supplement is pretty well bifurcated on those grounds, but not perfectly well by a, by a long shot. So you do have a lot of times where something is, you have something you could just buy at GNC and it's not a drug, but it's a fucking drug. And then you can have other banned substances that are really not technically drugs at all, but they're still banned because reasons. And a lot of times, especially early on in, categorization of what was considered performance enhancing drug, it was just like things in the culture that congressmen and senators heard of that they wanted banned. I mean, I remember, it escapes me at the moment, one drug specifically was singled out in the original anti-steroid legislation. It's just a drug like people had heard of in the locker rooms. Like, that's just, that's the only reason it was in there, really. And they missed a bunch of other drugs that are super powerful that guys were taking with no legal penalty at all that were absolutely steroids. Uh, The the legal system just didn't account for the fact they didn't go in there and go, okay, what is a steroid? We're going to make this whole category Category legal that just never happened so there was a lot of random bullshit like that 100% and, and so yeah, to, to your point there, there is a bifurcation you could make between supplements and drugs that would be, I would say, 95% sensible. There is absolutely 5% kind of hazy where even scientists are like, look, you know, things have effects on the body. If you take them from outside and you put them into you, that's already a class of what we call exogenous substance. Bifurcating it further into performance-enhancing drugs versus supplements it's to some extent needless bifurcation. Like, that's just a thing that helps you. It's like, you know, how much technology do you have in your home? And you're like, well, I have a TV, I have a printer. And they're like, what about your cell phone? And you're like, oh, I don't count that. Like, why not? (laughs) It's just not big enough. Like, okay, well, that seems arbitrary. So there's a lot of that going on, definitely. But, you know, there are also some pretty clear lines. One of them is typically supplements don't uh, radically alter your psychology. Supplements don't have, like, 50 different downstream sexual and health side effects. So drugs are pretty, like, pretty whopper kind of things that, like, okay, you're going to take this. A lot of shit is going to happen to you. You take creatine. You buy from the store. Some cool shit happens. Nothing to write home about. You take steroids. And, like, yeah, some shit will definitely happen that's, like, much more intense. Uh, uh, so that's definitely a a real thing.
2: Is there a psychological toll of taking some of this stuff in terms of you hear stories about aggression and anxiety? Yes, (laughs)
3: Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Some people so there's a dose dis, dose dependent response to exogenous hormones, even just testosterone produced naturally in your body. For example, if you're a typical male, if you underproduce or sort of have too little testosterone in, inside of your body, you can have a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression, a lot of sexual dysfunction. If you go back up into normal ranges, tend to get better at everything, and everything feels better, and your mind is better, your brain is better, health is better, and then when you get to taking more and more of them, you get further out the other end of that, which is super physiological doses, way more than your body is typically designed to be exposed to, and you start getting those side effects again, slightly different ones, sometimes the same ones, but basically you're off kilter again, and then it goes kind of bad. So a lot of it depends on how much you take. Sometimes the folks in Hollywood are just taking what we would call like super, super replacement doses, which is like, you know, every 200 people, every 200 grown men in their 20s will have that testosterone level naturally. So it's rare, but it's not unheard of. It's not completely out of bounds. And then so, you know, like most people will just feel better with that kind of thing, but also be a little bit more curt to people, maybe a little bit more kind of, you know, too alpha. Like the guy at the table is like, I'll pay, I'll pay. And you're like, oh, Frank, it's okay. You don't have to pay. He's like, I got it, buddy. Don't worry. And you're like, Jesus Christ, I hate that guy. He's just so, it's too much guy. Like, you'll get to that level, but generally not like, you know, considering taking your own life type of shit. But if you 10x the dose, which is a standard dose for competitive bodybuilding, you're going to get all kinds of demons in most cases, and you'll have a, a shortness of temper, at least inside of your own head if you're an adult and civilized and can control yourself. Some people can't, so the temper leaks out. You'll have all sorts of, uh, you know, in many cases, an increase in internally experienced anxiety, which makes total sense. The drugs are designed to do that. It's kind of a little bit fight or flight. And then so, yeah, you, if you deal with anxiety poorly and it kind of creeps up on you and your fatigue gets too high, you get depressive episodes and all sorts of fun. And also, you know, there's there's sort of like side effects psychologically that are a little bit good, a little bad. People will get a really crazy sex drive, which is awesome, but also annoying. It can lead to bad decisions and things like that. And then so you get the, the whole range Change, the important thing to understand is how those side effects are expressed are hugely dependent on dose of the compound and the type of compound you're talking about and in even more depend on the genetics and personal experience and maturity of the person into whom they are being injected or orally delivered so some people will take a, a lot of drug and kind of shrug it off and it's totally fine other people will take a little bit of drug and lose their fucking minds and have to stop so you know it's like, it's like with anything like you know weed or whatever like back in the 90s when you tried weed when it was illegal, you know, three of your friends would try it and two of them would be like, oh man, I'm seeing purple everywhere, this is great. And then one person would be like locked in a closet crying and you're like, the fuck, he took the same amount of edibles as the rest of us. So hugely hugely individual responses, but yeah, it can absolutely go south and you can be having a not so great time for quite some time.
2: So in the interest of getting sued, though maybe maybe we don't care about this, I'm gonna ask you about a totally fictional hypothetical situation that has definitely never happened. Let's say there's an actor who is over 50, totally ripped, keeps releasing workout videos, maybe to sell a product like a supplement. And when they work out, they have objectively bad technique. And let's say that in this made up situation, the trainer does not appear to understand basic things about hypertrophy. The trainer's program makes no sense. And let's say, I don't know that when the actor, the trainer and their personal chef discuss their goals on camera, it appears to be the very first time they've ever discussed their goals. Uh, <laughs> to, yeah. to make up a situation. You routinely call out scam artists for selling bullshit in the workout space. Yeah, yeah. Actors have much better lawyers, granted. But do you ever just feel like screaming, these workouts are not how you got that body?
3: You know what's crazy, man? I I can't scream that. Because it's probably true that those workouts really are the fact of how they got that body. And it turns out that if you have a real shitty workout, but you make up for the shittiness of it by just doing more of it, you actually can get quite good results a hugely inefficient eventually injurious way to your body but while you're still kicking you're actually getting decent robust results it's kind of like if you watch someone at a school who is sharpening pencils for the kids to use sharpen away like half the pencil and then put it down next sharpens away half the pencil like at the end you get a decent pencil it's half sized but it's nice and sharp and you can use it for a while you could be like why don't you just stop like a centimeter in when it's already sharp but you've used up almost none of it and be like oh no this is just kind of the way I learned it just keep going that's more of what's happening than like oh no like secretly this guy's doing real hypertrophy training and tons of drugs you know like folks like you're intimating may or may not be using tons of drugs they may not be using drugs at all to be perfectly frank someone like a completely random name out of the ether marky mark has been jacked more or less his whole adult life so for him to get re-jacked again is again quite quite straightforward just moving waiters pull up some push-ups some bullshit. and if you see those videos he's working pretty hard he's trying and if you get a male body that's healthy that maybe has some testosterone replacement support or maybe it's just like Dude, there's tons of guys who are drug-free, who are in their 50s. They just got it. They just got it. Whatever it is, they just got it. They just like look great, and they're doing great, and they may be on drugs or uh, to some extent, and they may not. I will say I will look at Marky Mark's physique and his the rest of his appearance. and the, He may be on drugs, but it sure isn't clear to me that he's on drugs. He could be. I say, you know, which anyone's guess, uh, I, I wouldn't say, like, he's for sure not on drugs. I wouldn't say that. But it, there's nothing about it that says, oh, that's for sure drugs. And there's unlikely to be some secret system in the back where they're using to actually get in shape. Yeah, people just do kind of a shitty job, and then that's what you get. You know, just as a reminder to folks uh, in the sort of cultural ether, in the 1960s, and I say this quite often, I've probably repeated myself about 100 times, but it's, it's fascinating. In the 1960s, Most of the National Football League didn't lift weights because it was a common belief that lifting weights made you slower and muscle-bound. And so the average offensive lineman weighed something like 225 pounds. For anyone listening, the average offensive lineman now weighs 300 to 340 pounds and lift weights religiously since they're eight years old. And the idea that you would be an O-lineman and not lift weights and weigh 225 is just comedy to us. But like back then, you'd get a camera in the face of the guy who just won the, you know, another Pro Bowl in 1967. And he's like, man, see, I eat my Wheaties and make sure to do some arm curls, man. And you're like, well, that's it? There's no way. <laughs> yeah, you know, like sure touch is. like a
2: between cigarettes.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the, the weight of my – say I switch from cigarettes to cigars and my neck gets more hypertrophy. So like you know, some people just do so, sort of not a great job and because they're male and they've been at it a while and they have a decent amount of muscularity, maybe they're taking some supplements, maybe not. Their diet is pretty good. Then it just like ends up being like, yeah, that's that's what passes for a, a good idea about training. I mean it happens all the time. Also, again, one of the huge myths I want to dispel is this idea of sort of like an imbued competence at the upper echelons of stuff like yes, you can get incompetence at very high levels, and in Hollywood, you could say, "But that's this guy's job to look like this." Yep, that's his—that's his best effort of doing random nonsense. You just do enough of it, and you eat pretty well, and you've been jacked before. Nothing left to explain. That's my my personal view on the matter. <laughs>